Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. Before I get started with what I have prepared this morning, I would just like to give you a short verse of encouragement, uh, kind of along the lines of what we were in prayer about. A couple of friends and I were speaking on the phone yesterday, talking about current events and discussing, you know, the Christian response. And we had shared this verse uh, with one another as kind of an encouragement. This comes from Isaiah chapter 8. It says, For the Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call a conspiracy all that this people calls a conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him shall you honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread, and he will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both the houses of Israel and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So just a reminder to us to look to the Lord as the one that we fear, as the one that we stand in awe of, and the one who we trust in every moment. Anyway, that was for free, so now I'll get started with my uh, exhortation for the morning. Um, I always consider it a grave responsibility and an awesome privilege to bring the word before you. Um, and I've prepared an exhortation this morning in regards to what the Lord has been teaching me about lately. It's a new year and people are making resolutions. They are hoping for a, a better year than last year, which is understandably so, as 2020 is undoubtedly one that will go down in infamy, right? Now, 2021 is getting started with a bang, so we'll see how it goes. But last year was many things to many people. But if I could describe the last year in a word, I would probably use the word division. A few highlights being division in the political world about how to deal with a global pandemic, division about the results of an election, racial divisions rearing their ugly head yet again as some seek justice and recompense, and others say no injustice is occurring. From what I have observed, these divisions and many others, those are just kind of the highlights, these divisions and many others have spilled over into the church. Churches are divided over whether or not we should be wearing a mask or whether or not we should be concerned with racial reconciliation. God's people are divided because if you voted for the other guy, there's no way you can be a Christian. And yes, there are people of that mindset on both ends of the political spectrum. However, I believe that the Lord has been working in my heart and teaching me that there is a more excellent way. That we as followers of Jesus are called to a higher standard. That we are to fly above the divisions and the chaos of the world and find a higher plane. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul expounds on this in one of the more poetically beautiful passages that we find in Scripture. And that is where I would have us turn today. But first, if you could grab your Bible or your phone or your iPad, whatever you use to read Scripture, and hold it up high. Hold it up high with me. And repeat after me. Say, this book, this book contains everything I need to know 
to live a life of godliness. Let's do it one more time. This book contains everything I need to know to live a life of godliness. If you don't take anything from my talk today and fall asleep from this point on, just take that one with you. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's pray together one more time. Father in heaven, we thank you again for this beautiful day that you have created. We rejoice today and we're glad for the opportunity to gather in your house together as believers, to be encouraged in worship, to be encouraged in your word, to pray together, to fellowship with one another. And Father, we ask this morning that as I seek to bring an exhortation that you would be with the words of my mouth, the meditations in my heart, help them to be acceptable in your sight. Help me to bring the truth and nothing but the truth from your scriptures. Give us ears to hear what you would have to say to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you look with me, starting in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Is there a tissue around here? Somebody got a tissue box? I have my noses. I'm sorry. Oh, right here, in front of me. Right in front of me. Thank you. Excuse me. So here Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul has just finished expounding upon the spiritual gifts and their use in the body of believers. And after talking about all these awesome things, apostles, teachers, prophecy, healing powers, words of knowledge, the gift of speaking in different kinds of tongues, and so many more, he closes chapter 12 with a very intriguing phrase. He says, and yet, I will show you a more excellent way. Then Paul opens chapter 13 by saying something that I think can have a tendency to raise a few eyebrows. At least it raises mine. He says, if I speak of tongue in men and of angels, 
but don't love, I'm just a bunch of noise. I can have prophetic powers. I can understand all knowledge, mystery, and have faith to move mountains. But if I don't have love, I am nothing. He says, even if I give my body to be burned at the stake, I gain nothing. So you mean to tell me, Paul, that if we have all this stuff working perfectly, We've got our apostles all doing their thing. We've got the teachers doing their thing. We've got the miracle workers and the healers keeping everybody healed. We've got our prophets freely exhorting. We've got the tongues people all over in the corner behaving themselves. You're telling me that if we don't have love, it's all for nothing? And I imagine Paul looking up at me with the same look I get from my older brother sometimes, and he just says, yep. Because you see, when a word of knowledge is given without love, it offends. When a person starts showing off prophetic powers out of self-interest, it causes divisions. When church, when church discipline is administered without love, without being rooted in true love, it will cause more damage. When a teacher or a preacher begins to preach retaliatory messages from the pulpit aimed at certain people in the congregation, really sticking them with the truth, that causes major, major division. You ever seen a person with mountain-moving faith lose their temper? This mountains start flying around. It's not good. You ever seen the movie Star Wars? Anybody seen Star Wars? One, two, three... There's a couple of battles between some people and the guy just starts grabbing these huge things and throwing them at the enemy. It's kind of what I imagine. And it's not a great time. What Paul is trying to say here, what Paul is saying is when you remove love from the equation, even with all the gifts and all the power that is given to us through the Holy Spirit, we will get nowhere. And we will likely start causing damage. Now moving on to verse 4, we start to change gears a little bit. And we start to look at what this love actually look like, looks like. Paul begins to put a frame around this more excellent way. He says, love is patient and kind. Let's stop here. If you remember, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So when the Spirit is working in you, and you are striving to love, you will begin to embody patience and kindness. Interestingly enough, there's something about us as human beings that works in two directions. It is said that what you believe will influence your actions, and also that your actions will influence what you believe. An example from my own life, an extremely rare occurrence, mind you, I'm driving down the road and I come up behind, swiftly come up behind somebody that's going the speed limit. I mean, 10 under the speed limit. <laughs> what begins to happen in my heart is not typically patience or kindness. To put it mildly, I get a little impatient. Can I get an amen? <laughs> oh, brother, here we go. What do you think this is? Sunday afternoon? Sometimes it is. <laughs> and once I've become impatient, kindness goes out the window. 
And then these malicious thoughts begin to fester in my heart. And before long, animosity is growing in my heart towards someone that I have never even met. Simply because they're driving a little slower than I am. All because I was impatient. My action now of impatience is sowing seeds in my heart that are the opposite of love. But now we flip the coin, and as I roll up behind this slow-moving vehicle, I begin exercising patience. I begin to wonder, what's up in this person's life? It might be an older person whose reflexes and vision aren't quite as good as they used to be. Could be a student driver's first time on the road, and now he's terrified there's a car racing up behind him. Could be someone unfamiliar with the area trying to find their motel. Could be a guy taking flowers to his wife and he's just trying not to spill them all over the car. The list goes on of the, the, the possibilities of what it could be. But now because I'm exercising a loving attitude toward the person in this car, trying to put myself in their shoes, so to speak, uh, patience is now beginning to grow in my heart. And patience is working in me to produce kindness. So what we believe about how we are supposed to act, how we're supposed to love, this will influence how we act. And then how we act reinforces this loving attitude in our hearts. Love is patient and kind. And then of course, after all this, with a smile and a wave, I pass them. <laughs> Moving on. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not arrogant. If you are exercising love toward others, you won't be jealous or envious of them, but you will rejoice with them when they experience blessing. When someone in church gives testimony about how the Lord provided, we won't get disgruntled. Be, well, I didn't get a car given to me. I wasn't healed of my ailment. Love rejoices. It rejoices when others experience blessing. In reverse, if you are exercising love, you're probably not going to go around bragging and boasting about your new car, your big raise, or how holy you are, or how patient you are, recounting again the good deed you did last week, or informing someone of the exorbitant check that you wrote the homeless shelter. Because love knows that bragging and arrogance only sows seeds of envy and strife. Moving on to verse 5, love is not rude. Oh yeah, that one. I know nobody in this room is guilty of this, but have you ever read through the comment section on a social media post or an online article? There's a whole lot of not kindness happening there a lot of the time. Even in our everyday discussions with neighbors, friends, family, and even between believers, this is happening. So instead of the church influencing our world and being known for our love, our current social culture has begun to rub off on us as followers of Jesus. We have begun assuming that if someone disagrees with me, like has another political point of view, has a different philosophy about raising kids, handles finances differently than I do, 
disagrees about whether or not we should wear a mask, doesn't like what I wear, doesn't like that I voted for the other guy, we seem to have adopted the attitude that we now have license to treat them like scum. The opposite is how we are supposed to be. Love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. Love doesn't hold on to things and let it fester and develop into that animosity that we talked about. From what I observed, this is a dangerous pandemic in our world today, and it is spreading even to people of faith. Love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. These are not adjectives that I want to characterize my attitude no matter who I'm dealing with because none of these flow from a heart of love. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love loves truth. Now we must remember always to season the truth with love and patience, kindness, gentleness, but we can always rejoice when truth prevails. Moving on to verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This goes back again to patience. Love continues to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit even under stress and pressure. To give another example from my own life, and to be very clear, I don't intend to infer that I exemplify these words, uh, but as many of you know, my wife and I have been raising our two nephews for about a year and a half, and due to family issues. It's had its ups, but it also has many, many downs, many valleys, many discouragements. But through this trial, the Lord has been drilling me with this line. Love bears all things and endures all things. I have been super convicted by this, as sometimes it's very easy to let my sense of justice and fairness override my love. I feel like I have to intervene to, <clears throat> got to make justice happen. I'm going to make it fair. They're not being fair to me, and I'm going to teach them. I'm going to show them. I feel like I have to intervene, but in reality, God is my defender. More important than me making sure justice occurs is for me to continue to love even when treated unfairly. Some of us are going through some things that are not very fun. Some of us are walking with folks that are going through things that are not very fun. But I want you to remember this. Love endures all things. And love never gives up the hope that all things do work together for the good of those who are called to God's purposes. Love never ends. Because of all these things that love is and is not, true love doesn't end. Love that exemplifies all these things we've been talking about can't stop loving. If I'm being patient and kind and preferring others above myself, not holding on to grudges, not demanding my way or the highway, rejoicing with others, rejoicing in the truth, that kind of love never ends. Prophecies, tongues, knowledge, they will all pass away. But love 
that keeps on. Moving on to verse 11, it says, when you were a child, how do you act? Who's number one? Me. I want my food now, daddy. I want all the toys for myself. Right? I don't want to treat my brother nice. I've got three boys. I know how brothers can treat each other. I had five brothers. I know how brothers can treat each other. <laughs> all I'm concerned about as a child is right now. Because I only know in part. As a child, I don't know the whole story. I don't understand what junk food is going to do to my body. I don't understand that how I treat others will come back around to roost. If we're honest with ourselves, before learning and growing in the way of love, we all have these tendencies. My neighbor got a better toy than I did for Christmas. <laughs> Jesse didn't do my favorite song during worship today. <laughs> Nobody noticed that my sermon was perfect today. Nobody thanked me for teaching Sunday school for 30 years. Why am I experiencing the valley and they are experiencing the mountaintop? <laughs> Love sees things differently. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Apostle Paul here is telling us that when we mature, we begin to realize that we can't see the whole picture. You see, love understands that we will never know on this side of eternity, on this side of that frosted window, what the seeds of love that we plant will produce. I really doubt that the Apostle Paul, while sitting in prison, writing out letters to the churches, I doubt that he knew a few thousand years later, here we'd be, 2021 Goshen, Indiana, reading his letters to grow in godliness. I doubt that Rahab the prostitute knew that because she performed a simple act of love by hiding a couple of random spies from an invading nation, that that would land her in the ancestry of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. I doubt the pastor of the little tiny church where my grandma grew up working thanklessly for years, helping children to memorize scripture. I doubt that he knew that because of his labor, 70 years later, there would be four generations of my grandparents' heritage together celebrating 60 years of marriage. All these four generations pursuing after God because there was a bedrock of scripture laid in my grandma at eight years old. We cannot know how the small everyday deeds of ordinary people like us will take shape over years and years and years to come. Love continues and continues and continues and continues. Because now we know in part, but then we shall see fully. We can have the faith to believe that what we sow now, sometimes with tears, we will then reap with shouts of joy. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. 
Here, Paul echoes a sentiment that Jesus expressed many times throughout his time on earth. What is the greatest commandment? Love. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. Love one another as I have loved you, so you love one another. Love your enemies. Love your Facebook friends. Jesus didn't say that. I said it. <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is my neighbor? And how do I love him? One final story, and then we'll start to wrap this up. Book of Luke, chapter 10, Jesus is confronted by a lawyer, an expert in the Jewish law. He asks Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus says, well, you're the lawyer, you should know this. What does the law say? The lawyer pipes up, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, yeah, you got it. Do that, you will live. And I could just, I could just see the, the lawyer bristle just a little bit. And he goes, wait a second, Jesus, I just told you, I know what the law says, so you, you need to congratulate me. I've been doing this. Jesus says, let me tell you a story, as Jesus always does. There was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and as he went, he was waylaid by highwaymen. They robbed him, stripped him, took everything of value that he had, beat him, left him for dead on the side of the road. Priest comes by, leaves him lay. Levite comes by, leaves him lay. But then a Samaritan comes by. Now just to clarify, a Samaritan would have been the perfect embodiment of an enemy, not a neighbor. The Samaritans were people that were kind of like the free pass to hate. They were kind of viewed like we have a tendency to view illegal immigrants, cult members, someone who voted for the other guy. They married the wrong people. They worshipped in the wrong place. They had the wrong doctrine. They did not adhere to the law. So there was every reason to hate them. And they hated back just as vehemently. But Jesus says there came a Samaritan. And as he came along, he came to where the man was. He picked the man up out of the ditch, dressed his wounds, poured oil and wine from his own supplies, put the guy on his donkey. So now the Samaritan's walking. He's got a guy on his own donkey now. Takes him to the nearest inn, spends the night taking care of this man. And then in the morning, after all of this, comes out to the innkeeper. He says, here, here's two denarii. Now, John MacArthur did some research on this, and from some findings that they have found around that time, it appears as though two denarii would have been enough board for that man to stay in that inn for two months. He says, here's two months' worth of board for this man. Take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you for any more expense that he has incurred. Here, Jesus sets the bar for love so high, it is almost unattainable. That kind of love is only reserved for me, myself, and I. Right? That's the kind of love, that's how we take care of ourselves. We bind our wounds, and we take ourselves to the inn, and we pay for us to be there for months. We don't do that for other people. Who 
loves like that. No one. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit can we ever hope to live out this more excellent way that Paul is speaking about. The one person who did live like that was Jesus. And he says this, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. How did Jesus love us? While we were still sinners. While we were still a Samaritan. While we were still participating in a sinful life, Christ died for me. That's next level. The only hope that we have to attaining that level of love is the fact that Jesus first loved us, gave himself as a ransom, that we might be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And this is the same Holy Spirit who now cultivates in us the fruit of the Spirit. Unredeemed, we might consider possibly giving up our seat to a good man, but to die for her? She dragged my name through the mud. To die for him? He ripped me off for 20 grand back in 89. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. While they are still a sinner, love. And here's the kicker. By this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the greatest testimony that we can have as believers is not healing or prophecy or preaching or singing beautifully, speaking in tongues or having mountain-moving faith. The greatest testimony that we have to an unbelieving world is extravagant, lavish, holding nothing back, love. So in 2021, as the church of Jesus Christ, let us not grow weary in being love, but let us run, throwing aside the attitudes and the divisions that so easily entangle us, and let us strive to walk in unity in the way of love. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.